Keon Coleman is for real. And I mean, we told you, told you about that all preseason, but I mean, just to see what he was able to do and arguably Florida state's two biggest games of the regular season, LSU and Clemson. I mean, just absolutely dominant. That's the guy that Joe exotic should be going after on Twitter right now. <laughs> as the Tiger King. I mean, Keon Coleman, he is the real tiger King. I, I told you guys uh, during the recap on Saturday, um, five, five touchdown catches, over 200 combined receiving yards in these victories over the two Tiger teams on Florida State's schedule. I mean, he's been as advertised and then a lot more. Hey, guys, it's Terrence Nan. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go Dose. Hey, what's up? This is Peter Ward, a.k.a. E-Dub in the house. You know, we're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go live, go Nose. Hi, this is Charlie Ward, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, Go Nose. This is Terrell Fuckley. You're listening to Hear the Spear, presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Deion Primetime Sanders. Great Deion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I, I could wake up to that greedy every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Here's the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder, Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on. SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go no. William Barnon Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What's happening, guys? This is Logan Robinson from Here the Spear, presented to you by NoGameDay.com. We are here live on a wonderful, fantastic Wednesday evening, and the Florida State Seminoles are undefeated, completing September 4-0, beating Clemson, beating LSU, uh, you know, having a great start to the 2023 season. Uh, Florida State will have their bye week this upcoming weekend, so we won't be spending too much time with you guys this evening, but uh, the Seminoles will be back next weekend at home hosting Virginia Tech at 3.30 on ABC and ESPN. This evening, though, we're going to have a variety of things that we're going to be talking about, including our last thoughts on Clemson. We're going to talk Daryl Jackson and an update that we got from Mike Norvell regarding postseason for Jackson. We're going to talk Ja'Kai Douglas as he was viewed at practice. We also are going to talk some good and the bad from Florida State's 4-0 start because there's definitely some good and there's definitely some bad. So. We're going to give our personal thoughts on that and have a good discussion there. We're going to talk a little PFF grades. I will probably correlate into that conversation as well. And then we've got some basketball goodies here with the ACC schedule being released last night. VZ is going to give us the rundown on that. Um, and if there's anything else for you guys that you want to bring up in the comments, feel free to throw it our way, and we will jump through a couple of those as we go through with the show this evening. But with me this evening is Austin VZ, our lead basketball writer at the top, and down below is our editor-in-chief, Dustin Lewis. D. Lou, that trip, that Clemson trip took you down, man, a little sickly, huh? Yeah, I've been uh, under the weather the last couple of days. You know, we can call this my flu game tonight, you know, still on here to do the show and recap one of the top wins uh, since Mike Norvell arrived in Tallahassee and, you know, just excited to be here with you guys after the weekend. You know, it was a lot of fun up there in uh, Martin, Georgia, and then also making that, what, hour trek to Clemson and uh, enjoying that one a lot on Saturday. Fun trip. It was a fun weekend, really. It was. It was. It was great weather. 
you know, where the press box is placed to is very enjoyable, at least for whenever <laughs> Florida State comes away with the win, at least, because you get to see the student section right below you and the students absolutely losing their minds, missing that field goal. And then, of course, on fourth down for Club Nick, that not being anywhere near a passer and the and the uh, students going crazy, slapping their hats, dude, on the bleachers. That was that was phenomenal. It was, it's it's college football. That's why you're there. That's why we love covering it. And just to be out there and the elements was really fun for a noon game. Couldn't have happened to a better group. You know, there were some times where <laughs> a couple yeah. of Florida State guys went down, and honestly, that that student section right in front of us was booing and saying some stuff that I won't repeat here on the podcast. And then it was also weird. It was like they knew that we were the Florida State media, and it was like after a big Clemson play or something happened on the Florida State side, like three or four guys would just like turn around and like stare at all of us like while we're up there working. I don't know. It was very strange. I mean, you know, the way everything unfolded, it, it couldn't have happened to a better bunch. See, I didn't, I didn't get any of this because I was sat separately. But it's also a much more enjoyable practice. Uh, press box but it's not freezing cold like it was two years ago uh weather was nice it felt good in the press box it honestly felt better in the press box than it did out on the field where it's no cloud cover no shade good time it's a good time yeah it was i deeply enjoyed it um you know just being able to go down there afterwards be there on the field seeing a lot of the fsu fans get to enjoy that take some pictures with some fans. I saw a few fans take some photos with Keon and Jordan Travis with some kids. That was really cool to see. And then obviously them, them going down and grabbing some sod what was fun to cover. But, you know, whenever Florida State is able to go into Death Valley with that magnitude of a crowd because we were not lying, you know, for anybody there. And it was very slim, at least from the FSU crowd. We only could see them all the way at the very top. And then you saw the one corner where the uh, family members of the players and staff uh, were sitting it was it was definitely ninety five five and Clemson's favor and they brought the juice and, and it was very loud and Florida State for the most part that we know of was able to communicate in some regard there offensively and Jordan Travis you know had his ups and had his downs there but um, nonetheless though the Clemson crowd brought it and uh, was a was a fun fun uh, weekend there up there in South Carolina. Uh, I just kind of wanted to jump back as we usually do on our Wednesday shows, looking, looking back at last week's game, you know, we have our instant reaction always afterwards, but just now having some time to go back, watch some film. I know Dustin, you and I spent some time that night looking over a few things and seeing some plays and get to hear the audio and and get better of a a replay from just our eyes and the binoculars. But um, you know, what are y'all feeling after this? You know, just looking at a few stats here, you know, total yards, and you brought it up, Dustin, and you said that, you know, your mind was all over the place afterwards. I think everybody's was, but it was hard to really give a good uh, description of how this game went because it had so many ups and downs, and the stat sheets were all in favor of Clemson, but Florida State was still able to come away with the win in Death Valley. Uh, now that you've been able to collect yourself a little bit, T. Lou, uh, just tell us a little bit about this Clemson game and how FSU won. It was a roller coaster, and I mean, really just a perfect display of the message we've seen from Mike Norvell over the years of having his program overcome adversity. And I mean, Florida State faced a ton of adversity earlier in this game, going down 10 nothing. Then the offense was finally able to respond with that touchdown drive, cut it to 10-7. Clemson goes right back again. You know, the defense really struggled 
in that first half to collect itself, and the Tigers took advantage of it going up 17-7 to there. But Florida State had a big touchdown drive to kind of cut the momentum and cut the deficit a little bit right there before the half. And, you know, we thought coming out of the break that Florida State would make some adjustments and defensively the unit would be a little bit better. That didn't happen at least early on. You know, Clemson was able to get that touchdown, go up 24-17. to But then that was really the last time that the Tigers had success the rest of the day. You know, the next possession, Kellen Deloach obviously forcing the fumble, Florida State taking that, tying up the game. And then that went to a – um, kind of a stretch for Florida State, starting with that possession, five straight possessions to close the game where um, Florida State didn't allow any points. And, you know, that was that was pretty impressive, especially with how it looked in the first half. And then on the flip side, you know, I wasn't very impressed with what the offense did in the second half, but getting a chance to watch it back. I mean, they were just a couple of shot plays, you know, a couple one-on-ones. Uh, Jaheim Bell had the one on the sideline early in the fourth quarter where a ball goes right off his hands. If he catches that, he might get in. And then late in the game, you know, Keon Coleman, there was clear holding on that last possession where Florida State was trying to work itself into field goal range. On that play, actually, Keon had an arm around his neck. And then Jaheim Bell, he had a – the linebacker had a good grab on his jersey. So, I mean, a couple of plays from there, Florida State maybe wins this one in regulation. But, I mean, it was it was extremely close. No, I agree. Um, it really felt like Clemson's offense was targeting Kevin Knowles. And if you go back and watch it, they were just anytime they were running counter, they were pulling all the all the linemen towards his side and forcing him to try and fill those gaps. And he really didn't do a very good job. There was a couple times he stuck his neck in there and ate up a block, but for the most part, he was just caught out of position a lot. Um, to to say Florida State needs a Kim Akeem Dent back badly is understating it, honestly. Um, but for the most part, I thought the defense played pretty well as a whole in the second half. They seemed mm-hmm. to press more in the second half, which in the first half they were oddly playing, you know, five, six yards deep, which was allowing for those for those slant routes that we were just seeing time and time again from Clemson. Um, as far as Florida State's offense, the offensive line struggled, especially the tackles. Les Harris was great in pass pro, but run blocking he didn't do very well. Jeremiah Byers was bad on both sides. Um, he even got yanked at the end of the game. I don't know if you noticed that, but Darius Washington came in at mm-hmm. right tackle for the last series. So They've really got to get some things figured out up front, really figured out these running lanes because, you know, I, I get Clemson's a really talented front seven, but there's no excuse to rush for 22 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what stands out the most there on this stat sheet, 22 total yards in rushing, which is atrocious. I mean, it's atrocious no matter, I mean, Clemson's talent and magnitude there in the front seven is impressive, but still. Florida State should be able to run the ball. And to be honest, that's the biggest storyline so far throughout four games is it just doesn't feel like they've been able to get a steady and consistent running game going. And that's going to be one thing that we'll discuss later on in the show, the good and the bad. That's one of the big bads right now because if Florida State is going to work on getting a run going into the postseason, they've got to find their running game. And it feels like a lot of chemistry, at least with the offensive line, hurt them. I don't think Maurice Smith was close to 100%. He went down <laughs> in the game as well. Um, and then Byers has had a really disappointing start to his career at Florida State. Uh, this bye week couldn't come at any of uh, any better time, gentlemen. And honestly, the running backs need to show some better patience too. There's a couple of times where Toe Field is just like, <laughs> I got to go, I got to go, instead of letting the play develop. I thought Trey Benson, I know we talked about it in the instant, I thought he looked better for the most part. There was just no running lanes for the majority of this game. It's been uh, worrisome. You know, Florida State leaned on this rushing attack last year to set up the passing attack. And, I mean, the inconsistencies were obvious against LSU. Um, 
against Boston College. It wasn't very good against a defense that had really struggled against Holy Cross and Northern Illinois coming to that game. And then in this one against Clemson, I mean, it was just plain bad. You know, whenever whenever Florida State handed the ball off, you practically knew that you weren't going to get more than a couple of yards on each play. And, you know, whether it's the running backs, whether it's the inconsistency and the injuries along the offensive line, you're really hoping Florida State can figure something out during this uh, during this stretch right here in the bye week. But, I mean, man, it hasn't been pretty, and that's an element of the – the game of the element of the game on offense that so you're going to have to get back to being success, successful. And because, I mean, that's a big part of this offense. And I mean, if they can't run the ball, we saw what happened. Clemson kind of made things one dimensional for Florida state. And I mean, they were almost able to pull out that game. Luckily Florida state was able to win a, a big one-on-one there in overtime and the defense was able to do enough to uh, help them out there in the end. Yeah. But in the, in the third, third and fourth quarters and in overtime, Florida state only ran the ball eight times for three yards. And it kind of felt like you could, at that point, you could tell Norvell's like, all right, this isn't working. And at the same time, he should have leaned into that even heavier. And honestly, there was no reason to run the ball at all in that fourth quarter. It's just, it just was not working. It wasn't, um, you know, for Florida state having to rely heavily on their passing game, which luckily Jordan Travis has made that next step as a passer, which you're luckily able to hang on to. But one thing that's also limiting Jordan Travis right now, and we've been able to tell that since week one, you know, he's not fully 100% with his legs right now that we're used to seeing throughout his career uh, in college football. That's something that at least whenever you're watching his play style, you can be like, okay, well, if the pass game isn't there, he's not finding anybody, he's able to take that for another 10, 15 yards. And he really second guesses himself now just because of whatever he's dealing with um and you know he took a lot of shots too you know we talked to him after the game and said you know he's gonna he's gonna be all right and luckily he's got this bye week um a lot of these guys need some need some treatment but for for jordan travis specifically he really uh, kind of in some way limits himself and just because he can't run but you know there's some certain things too which we'll talk about that he can do a lot better in that make his life a little bit easier with taking some easier shots where there's some guys that are absolutely wide open. It just feels like right now the only two targets that he's able to connect with are Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. Um, and, and that's yeah. And Jaheem dumping off to him here and there, but uh, you know, that, that can't be the case after we spent this whole entire off season drooling at this wide receiver room. Once in right, seems like he's, um, you know, I'm always going to say like 90, 95%, but still his talent can take you to a different level. Um, And then Destin Hill as well. Someone that has, I've seen with my own two bare eyes and I've said in the press box, Destin Hill, that guy, number seven, he is wide open on, on third down, which could eventually knowing his talent wise can take you a lot of yards down the field. So there's a lot of things, you know, Jay Trav and Tony Tokars need to do in the film room and Mike Norvell, and it needs to be for Coach Yaktu in the running back room. You don't have to go for these big plays all the time. I think that's something that they're relying on. I feel like they think that on the outside they need to make these big plays because it's uh, they, they have the pressure on them, and that's something that we talked about this whole offseason. Is this team able to withstand having that pressure on them on, and having that weight on their shoulders to make these big plays when they really don't need to? You look back at last year, not everything had to be a big play. They were able to get down the field just off of these short intermediate routes and runs. So, you know, that's something that as a coaching staff, they've got to sit down and, and, and figure out. And luckily uh, it comes at a good time and they were able to escape, scrape away, you know, being undefeated in, in September against some good teams. 
And to, to your point about guys having limited opportunities, here's who has double-digit receptions for Florida State so far this year. Jaheim Bell and Lawrence Toffili each have 10. Keon Coleman has 17. Johnny Wilson has 16. No other receiver has more than four catches. Like, that's just – there's too much talent on the outside for that to happen. They've really got to get a better job of, you know, using the middle of the field, using those dump-offs in the flats. They've they really got to get the rest of this offense evolved so you can make life easier for the Keon Coleman's. And I think that's really the answer. You know, they're missing a lot of the medium, the intermediate plays, and that brings in a lot of the slot guys. You know, Dustin Hill, Winston Wright. That's why they're not getting targeted. We're see- we're just seeing them go for a lot of shots. And, I mean, obviously it works out when you've got two of the best wide receivers in college football and Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. But when you're able to get these other guys involved and make them threats as well, it does take the target off those two just a little bit more and maybe even helps open them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'd like to see that change whenever Florida State gets back and at home against Virginia Tech and run that offense um, with a, with a good rhythm. Uh, you know, Florida State, it was crazy how much they had to rely on those fade routes. Uh, you know, they were trying to go for anything that they could get yardage, but it was just tough to see whenever you'd see a couple of your tight ends or even, uh, you know, looking at, uh, Dustin Hill be wide open. I, that that dump off, whatever that was to uh, to Mark Easton Douglas in that Clemson oh, game. That, I don't. That one hurt. I don't. I those are definitely still some questionable calls and play calls from from Mike that you know kind of just always sit in your I brain mean, like it is now on this Wednesday. But I mean, you've you brought in Jaheim Bell to take on those, and then also too, you already know what. Clemson's been doing to you for that many quarters you should have already been able to evaluate that probably your 285 pound tight end isn't going to be able to do much in that in that regard you know there's just some questionable things I mean every coach is going to be that way it's not going to be everybody's not perfect but still there's some things where I'd like to see some other players be utilized in different ways like we saw in last year which which worked I don't know why things are kind of switching up here for some of these some of these players but they've had a lot of success with those little screen passes to Marquise and let him kind of rumble and tumble a little bit. There was some room for him to make some moves. He just straight dropped the ball. And of course, coming off the week where we were pining for him to get more <laughs> playing time, he gets 14 snaps and plays horribly. <laughs> um, it's, it's It was just an unfortunate situation. I thought it was a fine play call. It just didn't work. But yeah, anything else on the uh, Clemson game here? I don't think I have much more. Um, nothing, nothing. We, we pretty much went through the, the bad parts of it. Of course, there are some goods and we definitely brought that up on the instant reaction and, you know, Florida state, uh, when needed and called up the most with Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, they answered, but, uh, definitely a lot of evaluations that are going to be done with this offensive line and this running back room as, as uh, Florida state moves forward, but a phenomenal game from Kalen Deloach, someone who uh, we, we talked about last week. And I think our guy Dylan put it on uh, three players to watch in Florida state's favor and named Kalen Deloach as being a, have to play a big factor there. And sure enough, he did. He was the you know MVP of that game with uh, Keon Coleman, but if that, if Kalen Deloge doesn't make that play, I think Florida State's in a really rough spot there just with how that environment of the crowd was and would have put them down in a pretty deep hole, I would say. It's going to be hard to find a more important play for Florida State this season, I think, because like you said, I mean, 
at that point of the game, Clemson had just come off a 46-yard run. They're threatening to go up two scores again late in the third quarter um, with how the possessions were going to that point. You know, who knows if Florida State's going to be able to make things up if Clemson does either get a field goal or a touchdown. So, I mean, for Kalen Deloach to flip the scoreboard and the momentum that quickly, I, I don't know. I don't know if there will be a more important play made by anyone else on this roster. I mean, depending – that play is definitely going to be remembered, I mean, forever in regards to the Florida State and Clemson rivalry. And, I mean, depending on how the season goes, I mean, that could be one that goes down in lore for Seminole fans. Yeah, I thought Deloach and Tatum Bethune both played really well at that linebacker yeah, spot. Bethune was great. They are both flying to the football. Bethune had a huge hit in the second half. I forget who was on. I think it might have been Klubnik or something. It was Klubnik. Yeah. Three he games just, now, he's killed quarterbacks. Just yeah. absolutely killed him. Um, it was a, I don't know if you went back and watched the play, but he kind of came from a side angle and just boom. It was it was a crazy hit. And obviously, mm-hmm. Deloach was flying around to the football. There was a couple of times where I thought he made took a wrong angle for the most part. Both of those guys played really well. Um, and honestly, they needed to play more. There were some times where Omar Graham was in there and just not playing well. DJ Lundy took a couple bad angles to the football. They honestly needed need to have played more, and they may not have been in the situation they were late in that game if they had been. They were both really good, and I thought Florida State's uh, pass coverage also got a lot better in that second half. You know, Clemson was taking advantage of that slant, uh, the receiver getting inside the cornerback, and at least for some points in the third and fourth quarter, they adjusted to that and were playing it very well, and I thought that present, uh, prevented – Cade Klubnick and that passing attack from getting going uh, in the final two quarters after a, a very good second quarter. Yeah, not only did Florida State end up beating uh, Clemson, they also ended up beating uh, the refs. Uh, I was going to share Fabo's tweet or Instagram story from uh, today, but calling out the ACC refs, it's crazy. Some of these photos are incredible that came out afterward, but uh, here's one of Fabo getting held here by two players at the same time. Uh, he said, ain't no, ain't get a holding call the whole game. And then he said, look at the ref looking directly at us. Like, look at my jersey, and it's being held off of his shoulder cap there. Um, there, there was that, and Keon Coleman being held um, on his deep post going in. Uh, a lot a lot of variety of things. Braden Fisk always gets held every game, and I – I, I just don't know what else to do. I mean, we see it yeah. up there in the press box, and it's like, I mean, what else can you do at this point? I, I know they say there's holding on every play, but it was egregious against Clemson. Like, there's more than one picture where someone's shoulder pads showing because they're being held, and that's, you know, usually those are called. But, you know, I think there's only one offensive holding call in the game. It was on Florida State late in the game, like late fourth quarter, I want to say. Um, it was interesting how much to see – the officials were letting go. And honestly, if if it's not going to be called one way, at least it's not going to be called the other way too. Because there was a couple of times where Darius Washington's pulling somebody to the ground and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it was definitely more egregious on, Florida, on Clemson's offensive line. It's just funny because Florida State's defense had more holding penalties than Clemson's offense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were no holding penalties called against that front four. I don't yeah. know, man. And they were getting pressure. Joshua Farmer had a game. We should have said that earlier. Joshua Farmer was getting so much pressure up the middle. Fabian Lovett had some nice moments. This does, mm-hmm. um, but that really that interior defensive line was getting a lot of pressure. They were just getting held, or 
Klubnik was getting the ball out fast, and, and the pressure just couldn't get there quite in time. thought Patrick Payton was really good for Florida State down the stretch of that ball game yeah. as well. Yeah, Two back-to-back big plays there at the end. Big ones. Inverse, it didn't always pop up on the stat sheet, but, man, he was dominant against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made his presence felt. That's for damn sure. He, he, had, he had five pressures in that game, and it felt like it, too. And so did Joshua Farmer. Farmer also had five pressures. But they were getting a lot of pressure. They just – you know, Klubnik was getting rid of the ball fast or they are being held. It was one of the two. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's who you're going against. Uh, the Zebras, the ACC. Got to love them. Got to love them. Um, you know, just going now to, you know, defensive line. Let's talk Daryl Jackson here. Mike Norvell talking today bringing up that, you know, they're they're hoping, they're expecting for him to be available for this upcoming postseason, which would put Florida State uh, in a very good spot. They were just talking about pressure, but um, Daryl Jackson having the availability to join this defensive line unit would be huge transfer from Miami. Dustin, you and I, we saw him. I uh, saw him in practice. I saw him in the spring too, but just specifically, you see him in practice more. Uh, lately but he has been a wrecker you know kind of like how Joshua Farmer has shown that he can be uh, you know Daryl Jackson has that same kind of mentality and has been disruptive and causing some havoc for Florida State in practice on offense so uh, this would be a big time get for Florida State to add in to that combination of death because if you're going if you think about it you know Florida State still got a very long season ahead just depending on depth too, you know, just to have another guy there with that experience, fresh legs too, fresh body. That's probably the biggest thing there to be a, a full go for this upcoming postseason for the Seminoles. You kind of nailed it. As far as uh, raw talent, I mean, he might be the best defensive lineman on Florida State's roster. You know, whenever he's moving at full speed, it's still there's still some consistency stuff to clean up. But I mean, man, when he has a good rep, you're just kind of like, wow, uh, Daryl Jackson can get after it. I mean, the guy truly at some points looks like a future first round NFL draft pick out there on the practice field. And I mean, credit to him for still coming out there and putting in the work day by day, despite having his uh, eligibility waiver denied a couple of weeks ago, you know, has continued to put in the work despite being ineligible to play right now during the regular season. It was very interesting to hear Mike Norvell provide that update that, you know, depending on where Florida State goes in the postseason, he will be available to play. Not quite sure yet if that includes the ACC championship or just a potential bowl game or a potential playoff run. But, I mean, either way, we see the depth that Florida State has right now on that interior defensive line with Fabian Lovett and Braden Fisk, Joshua Farmer, Dennis Briggs, Malcolm Ray, Daniel Lyons. I mean, it's loaded. But then you add in a guy like uh, Daryl Jackson, who, I mean, man, just – extremely talented and he's also six foot six 330 pounds plus i mean this is a massive guy in the middle i, I like the way that you kind of put it logan saying that you're bringing in a guy with fresh legs i think that's kind of the huge impact here you get someone that hasn't taken a lot of hits throughout the season and i mean can just come in there and potentially wreak havoc on an opposing offense it'll be fascinating seeing with that d- defensive line rotation you know because dennis briggs has played well along with the three guys that we've already mentioned earlier in this podcast but that's a really talented interior defensive line group. You had a guy like Jackson in for a potential playoff run or a hot, or a very good bowl game. He's he's going to cause some havoc for sure. And I think that allows you to wonder, you know, can Florida State maybe mix up some combinations whenever he comes back in lineup? Does that allow yeah. you to play a little bit of Fisk and a little bit of Briggs on the outside? 
because yeah. I mean that just gives you a very athletic front. I mean, even more so than what you have now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That should open up a different kind of combination or whatever Odell and Fuller want to do defensively at that front, you know, moving some guys around. But, you know, just having that fresh guy in there that hasn't had to battle all of those games and then he's put in, you know, I think uh, FSU fans will be very happy about that. So a good, at least the most optimistic and positive update you can get. I know he did not get his waiver granted, nor did he get his appeal granted. But, you know, just off of the law and everything, how it goes, you know, he'll have that availability in the postseason, which is big um, after this semester. So, uh, you know, that's a, we'll, we'll continue to evaluate that and see how he does in practice as we move forward throughout the season. Uh, another one, too, that we need to mention here offensively, one that would be available just depending on health and such. But, you know, we're able to view and see that Ja'Kai Douglas is starting to participate in practices. We talked about the wide receiver room earlier, gentlemen. Um, you know, Florida State looking for some help here. I'm not too sure FSU fans are one to rely too much more on these deep shots. But with Ja'Kai Douglas, though, uh, he does bring a lot of different things you can do there and is much needed in the slot because, like I had said, I, you know, you got Winston right there. He doesn't have a whole ton of experience inside of this offense on the field, at least. But Ja'Kai Douglas is the reverse of that. He's been in the system. He's worked with Mike Norvell in this offense. Um, you know, Jordan Travis and them have a lot of really good chemistry, as we know, throughout their tenures in college. So, uh, Ja'Kai Douglas now starting to get some participation and it's coming at a time of a bye week. Could there be some potential of a number zero getting his debut of the 2023 season um, and game five of the year uh, kind of feels like last year a little bit where we didn't get to see him until later. It was about this time last year, whenever he uh, came back to the lineup from that uh, injury that he suffered during the preseason ended up appearing in the final seven games from, for Florida state and, I mean, Ja'Kai is obviously a target that Jordan Travis is very familiar with, you know, still getting into groove uh, with what Winston Wright and Destin Hill do as far as in-game action. But, I mean, Ja'Kai Douglas is someone that he's played with over the last couple of years, is connected with on some big plays. So, I mean, you've got to hope with his potential return in the lineup at that slot position that maybe we'll start seeing that being utilized a little bit more. Only had 10 catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns last year, but – I mean, he was looking pretty good for Florida State prior to going down with that injury in the preseason. And as you mentioned, if Florida State wants to keep taking these deep shots, he's a perfect guy to go to from the slot. Obviously, we saw him have that huge play against Notre Dame two years ago. Um, but he's just a talented playmaker, and it's something Florida State desperately needs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he helps a ton there. And, you know, Florida State trying to build some good, reliable depth in the slot position anyways. And so I think that will be – a good solid addition for what FSU wants to do in the passing game and, you know, stretch that out outside of Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, man, you're lucky to have two really damn good wide receivers that you, you have on, on your stable. But I think too, with Douglas coming in, that, that helps it quite a bit. Uh, let's jump into the good and the bad. And this will kind of go inside with some of these PFF grades that we have loaded up here on our screens, but uh, the good and the bad from a 4-0 start for the Seminoles. Is this team still a college football playoff caliber team? That's what I'll ask you guys. Is this team college football playoff caliber after four games, after what y'all have seen? For sure. Granted, they've played, you know, maybe B-minus to B football so far. But if they can correct some of these issues with the run game, 
And with the slow starts on defense, there's no question that if this team ever gets to that point where they're playing an A game, there's going to be very few teams that can play up to that standard. Um, they have the talent. They just they got to simplify some things in the offense, whether it's the blocking assignments, whether it's Jordan Travis's reads. Um, the the capabilities there for sure. And you can't leave September with wins over LSU and a win over Clemson in their building, which they haven't lost an ACC team there in six, seven years. You can't take those wins before and say they're not a playoff contender. They absolutely are. Like Austin said, I mean, with what we saw from Florida State this month, as far as the beatdown of LSU and coming out of that victory in Death Valley um, over Clemson, I mean, that's kind of the answer to your question right there. As long as Florida State takes care of business the rest of the way and, you know, defeats whoever comes their way in the AC championship, this team is going to the playoff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was – I mean, I agree with you guys too. I mean, the game that they played against LSU, you know, and that was really a half of football where they put it all together. And it just goes to show too that defense – and we'll start going into the good and the bad, but – this defense can start off games early and with some just kind of almost emergency, just starting off strong like that um, and physical and, and taking advantage of some opportunities, you know, that helps a ton because it seems like right now Florida State and Adam Fuller, they're relying heavily on their adjustments at halftime. But in some games, you might not have the opportunity to do that. You might be down too much where you're really relying on your offensive players, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, to make big plays because that's all you can rely on right now. This defense can't have that kind of mentality moving forward for the rest of the season. They've got to get out there and make plays right off the bat, get their three and outs and get their offense out there because right now the one the 180 that I've seen so far from last year is that Florida State was really being the game manager in a lot of their games last year. Right now it's kind of flip-flop where you're giving more possession off to your opponents and Florida State's offense isn't out on the field long enough. And then if you deal with the two or like two, three and outs and a half or three – Three and outs, you're put in a really bad situation. You put yourself into a hole, definitely, with, with the de- defense, with how they want to play so far in games to start off the season. So that's one of my bads that I, I wanted to bring up there that uh, has definitely got to be a big-time adjustments as they end going up uh, the next couple of weeks. I feel like with the defense is they're waiting to see what the opposing offense is doing and then reacting to it instead of just coming in with a game plan of wanting to take over a certain aspect of the of the game. They're just kind of letting the opposing offense decide what they want to do and then reacting to it. And they'll make those adjustments at halftime. I'd love to see this defense come out with a game plan immediately and, and make the right plays. You know, we saw them last week just be so far off the line of scrimmage when they didn't really have a, they don't really have a deep threat outside on the outside for Clemson. And then they adjusted in the second half, they started pressing a lot more and you could see how much that impacted Clemson's offense and, and club next timing. Um, but that's on that same point, Renardo Green has been a dog. He has been so good for this Florida State secondary, and I'm, I'm really pleased to see how well he's been playing, both in the passing game and in the run game. He's come up and made some big plays in the run game to start this season. Kind of agree with what you're going with there, Austin. It seems like they've been a little – and just going off these last two weeks, I try not to take much away from the first game against LSU because, I mean, it was a season opener and yeah. everything. But the last two weeks, I mean, we have seen some weaknesses – pop up on this defense and it just seems like they're very tentative early on just kind of feeling things out instead of setting the tone and then we saw in the second half I mean Florida State amped up the amount of blitzes the amount of pressure that they were trying to put on Klubnik and I mean it worked out with that stretch where they were to 
force five consecutive possessions without Clemson getting any points. And whereas in the first half, I mean, the defensive line was almost getting there on a couple, but it felt like Klubnik was allowed to get too comfortable. And then mm-hmm. he got into the rhythm. He had that stretch uh, finished in the second quarter, I believe nine out of nine. And, you know, it looked like Clemson had some momentum going into the half. But then once they ramped up that pressure, that really helped. And then same thing against Boston College last week. I know Castellanos was very unique with the way that guy's able to move on the ground. But, I mean, they were just sitting back and kind of waiting on him to make his move rather than going out there and making it for him. Uh, there's a question here from our guy Witt on YouTube asking, why do you think Wilson is targeted? Uh, seems like every other pass, why not spread it more? And I mean, we were talking about that earlier throughout uh, the show and we talked about it in our instant reaction, but really it was just like this far right, far left down sideline, take those shots. And then Florida state couldn't find the middle of the field uh, to, to find any game there. And it's cra- kind of crazy to think about with what Florida state was able to bring in the transfer portal and what you already have in the wide receiver room. But, you know, also, too, not being able to build a running game, too, limits you in a lot of different ways on what you're going to see defensively in their schemes that they're going to go against you with. I think part of it with Johnny is just Travis is comfortable with him. You know, he's been practicing with him for so long now that he's just used to Wilson, and it's it's hard not to take advantage of a six seven wide receiver that runs as well as yep. he does. You want to take those chances, but at, they do need to spread it around more, I agree with. They've got that chemistry with one another. They were able to build last year. And, I mean, we saw down the stretch, I mean, Jordan Travis to Johnny Wilson was a proven play in that Florida State offense. I mean, you think back to that Oklahoma game, the final game during that 2022 Mm -hmm. season. I mean, man, they were absolutely ridiculous. They haven't connected to that level yet so far in 2023. I think defenses have done a good job of adjusting to that so far. But, I mean, I feel like Florida State, they're going to figure this out on offense. I think this bye week could be a big turning point in general, but I mean, they're going to get it figured out with the amount of playmakers they have, you know, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, but if they can open it up and get some of these other wide receivers involved in the game plan, I feel like that's just going to help the room as a whole. What do you think is going to have to be the fix here for this running game? And Trey Benson specifically starting off there because that's someone that we've highly praise since this last season in 2022 but right now it's kind of a mix of everything you know the offensive line chemistry on the inside is not helping much your tackles aren't playing as well as you thought maybe it would and you're hoping now with uh, Scott potentially being able to come back that'd be huge plus Harris has been nice but you're really kind of struggling there at that right tackle position and then you know going from you know Trey Benson specifically some of these holes that there's opportunities in some ways, not specifically looking at Clemson, but all throughout the season so far, there's some opportunities there where you see him take advantage of last year, but isn't right now. Um, you know, what are some ways to fix this? Because that's something that is a big bad right now with Florida State's running game, because at some parts you're looking at uh, Rodney Hill being one of the ones that is able to take advantage of those opportunities. But, you know, for Trey Benson, he's definitely a whole 180 with the way that he his run game style is. For Ronnie Hill and the size difference, but Florida State has got to, sh- they've got to turn around this run game going into the latter half of this 2023 season. Doesn't look good right now. I really think um, injuries along the offensive line and game reps for that unit are, are plaguing Florida State's offense right now. You know, Jeremiah Byers hasn't been as good as you were anticipating on that right side just yet. You're still hoping that 
as he continues to adjust to this scheme. You know, he'll get better and better. I feel like Bless Harris has done a pretty good job on the left side. Um, the guards in general have been really inconsistent. Uh, Demetri Emanuel and Casey Roddick, we've seen them get flip-flopped out at times for Keandre Jones. Um, Darius Washington has kind of moved across the unit, but been really good when he was at center the last two weeks. I'd be interested to see if he maybe gets more of a look inside with some of the struggles that we've seen there. And then you're hoping that Robert Scott can get back into that lineup for Florida State. So, honestly, I'm looking – at this bye week, you know, getting healthy, extremely important. And then as you look at this three-game stretch that you begin October with, you know, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Duke at home, you're hoping that you've got these guys on the offensive line and you can go out there and get some real reps these next couple of weeks. And hopefully that running game is hitting the ground running as you start to go into that final stretch of the end of October, beginning of November for the regular season. And let's not sleep on Duke. That's a talented front four that's that's got some playmakers. They're – Giving Clemson's offensive, for sure. They were giving Clemson's offensive line some some issues. Um, but to the point about the offensive line, I'm curious that when when Robert Scott comes back, what do they decide to do with you know Bless Harris? So they push him to the mm-hmm. right side and maybe push Byers inside to guard potentially because I think that might clean some of the blocking assignments up for him. Um, you know, if we go back to the 2014 season, Florida State made that midseason change where Cam Irving moved to center. And everything just works so much better for that offense. It'll be interesting to see if something like that happens uh, this year. Granted, this offensive line isn't as talented as that year's was, but they've still got a plenty of talent. And they need a, they really need to get some running – these running lanes and blocking lanes figured out. It's a good point because, I mean, that does at least, quote-unquote, probably get your best five guys into the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with some good experience as well. Um you know, we'll see, we'll see what Scott and, you know, the availability there for him as well will be as we go through the rest of the bye week. Uh, there's a good topic on here already bringing up just right on my mind here. This is my number three of bads. Uh, this is from KH regular viewer and listener here on the show he says someone please tell Jordan to take the check down short and intermediate routes. That would be very helpful. And, you know, this really popped up to us, you know, Southern Miss game, Boston College in some ways, and then a few times here in Clemson where you're seeing a few guys specifically to Destin Hill be open. You know, he's open there and specifically usually sometimes on third downs where it's kind of the easier way to go for J-Trav to take those shots or maybe two, even if, you know, he can't connect on those small intermediate ones, he's being covered well tuck it and run and you know now the question is how healthy is jay trout to take it but to be honest guys i was able to see him run down the sideline take a shot there shouldn't be any kind of excuse where he can't run five yards six yards ahead of him and grab the first down whereas he's taking these crazy shots downfield i think that's something that you know uh tony tokars they've got to figure out uh, a, a better solution for that because we didn't see we didn't see where Jay Trav would do that unless it was necess- unless it was a necess- necessity for Florida State's offense last year. Now it just seems like it's got to be a regular thing, whereas I don't think that needs to be the case whatsoever. Take what you can get, and it goes along with also keeping possession on the field and, and taking uh, time away from your opponent's offense and, and keep on running the time, running the time, which they did a really good job of last year, guys. I think part of it is Travis just has to get healthy. You could tell early on in the Clemson game, he was so afraid to get hit. Like he'd be throwing the ball and he's fading away. He's twisting around. Scary. Like, yeah. He was, he was so afraid to get hit. 
early on in that game. And I think once he got hit a couple of times down the stretch, he started settling in. Um, and realized, you know, I'm going to get hit. It's going to be fine. Even if it's going to hurt a little bit. Um, he's just got to trust himself. And we so, we did see him make some of the easier reads. Like I know he hit Jaheim Bell for a quick out route. Um, so he's taken some of them, but I agree. He's got to be more judicial with his throws and, and making the right reads. He can't, it can't just be slot fade is the read every single time. Cause we even saw it on this game where there's a slot fade to Darian Williamson. And he just, I don't know if Williamson cut it too far in instead of going out a little bit, but you know, Travis really missed through that ball and they're, there was some communication afterwards between them where Travis looked a little upset about it. But to me, that can't be the read every single time on third down as a go route or a fade route or whatever. They've, they've really got to find some ways to open the stuff up underneath, whether it's more mesh routes, whether it's more slants, they've got to figure something out. Yeah. I think it's easy to get greedy, you know, when you're looking at this offense and the amount of playmakers you have to just search for that big play. But, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. Just take what the defense has given you, live with it. The big play will eventually open itself up. But, I mean, if you just go for it every single time like we're seeing and just forcing it, I mean, it's never truly going to be there. You know, Florida State got lucky that they were hit on a couple of those outside uh, one-on-one plays. But if they can get some more stuff involved over the middle, some slants some post routes, things like that, I think it's going to help this offense uh, in the long run approaching the rest of the season because – now teams are going to look at what Clemson, what Boston College, what LSU tried to do to take away this receiving core, and they're going to put a lot of attention on Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman and force FSU to go to some of these other guys to beat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would like to start building that chemistry with those players, which hasn't been built a ton, like uh, VZ was saying, with those uh, receptions made from the wide receiver corp. They've got to start getting some of these inside guys, the slot guys and these little intermediate routes going um, because there's, there's too much talent there too with guys with yards after catch. that I think you could take fully advantage of these, these are special talents and um, you know, that's just something that they've, they've really got to work on um, uh, moving forward. That's one of my, that's one of my big bads. Is there any other um, big bads before we move on to a few big goods? I would just say the inconsistencies of the defensive backfield because, I mean, we, we have seen some very good moments from that side. But, I mean, then there are some like the last – I mean, especially the Boston College game, those third and longs. But this game, you know, the first half where Clemson was using that slant route, to, I mean, just totally take advantage of the cornerbacks. I did talk about earlier they were they were able to adjust that some for the final two quarters. But it just feels like at times the adjustments, they take too long to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say is the, the adjustments are just a little slow right now. Like I know some people were picking on Ventral Cypress early on, on Twitter, but, you know, he was playing the way he was being told to play. And then once they told him to get inside leverage, they didn't really have much success against him on those slant routes. The, really the only the only play I can think of is they had an out route from their own end zone. That was, I mean, it's a great catch, great play. Um, but yeah, I agree. The, the secondary has got to get cleaned up a little bit. Um especially Kevin Knowles, man. I, I know I mentioned it for the Clemson game, but overall he's been pretty poor filling in for Akeem Dent. They really got to get Dent back out there. And I think Dent being back there would fix a lot of these issues, not only just because of how talented he is, but he's a veteran. He's been here. He knows what to do. He can get guys lined up and help communicate. I, I just think there's a huge gap between, between Dent and Knowles right now. 
you can definitely tell Knowles is new to this position. Yeah. Uh, it's something that you got to hope Dent is a- available moving forward. Like I said, by week sometimes comes at a perfect time and it definitely is coming in at a really good time, both for health wise and some adjustments that need to be done on tape and some guys also being moved around. Like we're talking about the offensive line. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a new offensive line uh, lineup um, whenever Florida state plays the Hokies next weekend. So uh, a lot of adjustments, a lot of things, guys got to get healthy as well, but um, you know, luckily these things, this team can make the, these fixes. They, they can do that, which is good. Um, it's not where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, they can't face an opponent with, with, with the talent that they have, and, and they can't make these changes. They, they certainly can. We've seen that. Luckily, they have a team, though. Michael Bell has built a team that responds very well to whenever they're down or put into some rough spots. This team now responds, and that's something that we could not say this, gentlemen, three years ago whatsoever, you know. It just goes to show what Mike has been able to do as a team and build that culture. And um, there, there's no giving up with this with this squad. So that's something you don't have to worry about when you're going into a third or fourth quarter if a Florida State is trailing. Uh, some goods that we've seen out of the 4-0 start. There, there's a lot of them. You know, we've been talking on, on the negative side of things, but Florida State has a damn first round wide receiver talent and, and and on their squad. I just go ahead and start there. It started in week one when Florida State faced LSU, but you saw it right off the bat. Michigan State transfer Keon Coleman is the real deal. He's a top three, maybe top two wide receiver in the NCAA right now. Uh, he, he is putting on a show in front of scouts, in front of fans. Uh, he's becoming uh, Jordan Travis's one of his most reliable wide receivers. And, you know, a lot of props goes over to Johnny Wilson as well. He's been able to respond and in the way of him dropping these passes that should be right into his hands and caught. But, you know, uh, those two guys are some serious talent and should be FSU fans should be really excited for the, the next uh, couple months in this offense. They, they, they're, they're demons. They're demons. Keon Coleman is for real. And, I mean, we told you – Told you about that all preseason, but I mean, just to see what he was able to do in arguably Florida State's two biggest games of the regular season, LSU and Clemson. I mean, just absolutely dominant. That's the guy that Joe Exotic should be going after on Twitter right now. <laughs> is the Tiger King. I mean, Keon Coleman, he is the real Tiger King. I, I told you guys uh, during the recap on Saturday, um, five five touchdown catches, over two hundred combined receiving yards in these victories over the two Tiger teams on. Florida State schedule. I mean, he's been as advertised and then a lot more. Yeah, and, and I know you said one first-round talent at wide receiver. You could make the argument that Wilson could slip in the first round if he tests really well because, you know, he's got that Mike Evans build where he's tall, he's lanky, and he can run. And when he hangs on the football, there's there's nothing you can do to guard him. Um, obviously, the catches are still hit and miss, as we saw in the Southern Miss game at the beginning of the LSU game. But these last two games, Wilson's been really, really good. And as we mentioned earlier, Jordan Travis trusts him. And then Keon Coleman's just an absolute freak. I mean, at 6'4", 4'4", speed, there's really no guarding him. And when he can jump like he can, you can you can see the basketball background with him when he goes up and high points that football. It's just like him going up and getting a rebound over everybody. He just has that natural instinct to go up and get it. And it's really, really special to see. It's something we haven't seen at Florida State as far as like two jump ball receivers. It's it's been a while since we've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, it's absolutely nuts what, what they have there just out of those two wide receivers alone. And like, we've been pressing this show tonight. Imagine what you could do whenever some of those other guys get involved and you open up even more opportunities for their guys to make their lives somewhat easier. Cause you know, every defense is going to be prepped for them and those two specifically. But, um, yeah, I would also too, I want to note on another good here. Uh, Jaheim Bell is, is a special player. I know that, you know, kind of inconsistencies and in weeks, you know, he has his plays and those flashes and some big plays we saw against LSU um, and a couple flashes after those uh, few weeks, but still Jaheim Bell, Jaheim Bell is a real deal. Uh, you've had four games with them. You kind of know what you're going to get out of them now. And I'm interested to see how Mike Norvell utilizes him, but he was everything that we were talking about in the preseason as well. Dustin, a guy that you can use in every which way possible. And that's what Florida state mm-hmm. is doing. Um, they just got to figure out a few things on the outside to help block ahead of him but you know the way that he can navigate it's something that florida state uh, fans nor us covering florida state for as long as we've done we've never seen a, a tight end have these kind of capabilities um, cam mcdonald doesn't didn't have that uh, marquise and douglas doesn't have that shout out to biscuit as always though but still you know jaheim bell is a special player and it's going to be really interesting to see how florida state continues to utilize his talents moving forward throughout the season there's not a more versatile player on florida state's offense and i mean we saw it right there on display against Clemson, making plays from the traditional tight end spot, getting reps in the slot. We even saw him get some carries uh, in the backfield. That didn't work out so well. But regardless, I mean, it was just nice to see the ways that Florida State is going to use him throughout the year. And, you know, there has been some inconsistencies in the first couple of games. But, I mean, man, once once this whole offense gets clicking into gear and gets going into full cylinder – um, it's going to be even more fun to watch now. And I think it just says so much about the criticisms, criticisms that we're putting out here on this offense, despite the 4-0 start and everything. It just shows, you know, how much we think this team, how far we think that they can really go if they're uh, going at 100%. Right now it feels like they're operating more at 75 80%. If they get clicking, I mean, it could could be really nasty for the rest of college football. And the, the role that – we've seen him used in an LSU game was as a lead blocker out of the backfield. And that really opened up the running game during that game in the second half, gave them explosive plays. Bell's been really good and they wanted to give them ball early against Clemson. And they did, they didn't have too much success with it, but you can tell Norvell really likes him and really wants to use him. And he was a half inch away from breaking a huge play <laughs> up the sideline and breaking that tackle against any other team. That's not Clemson. I think he breaks that but he really is a special player. You, you don't see tight ends like that these days. And he's really fun to watch when, when they're getting him involved. You were mentioning him earlier in the show, VZ, but another one of my goods is Renardo green. Renardo Dog. green. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've been high on Renardo's. What was it, a year and a half ago going through camp and they put him at corner and wasn't lying. That kid was putting some kid, putting some boys on lockdown. And now I look at it two years later, and he's holding on to that starting spot as well um, and across from Fentrell. But he's Florida State's best corner, and uh, he, he just shows consistency. Like you said, he's great in the run game. He showed us that last year as well. But he's having a really strong start to this 2023 season, and you're going to want that as definitely if you're going into the postseason and Florida State is able to reach that college football playoff. No matter what, any team that makes it to the playoffs is going to have dogs at wide receiver, and you're going to need another dog on the other side to, to contain and put them on a leash and Ronaldo Green is there to play. One, one of my favorite sequences of the season so far, it's going to go probably unheralded, but in the second half against Clemson, Will Shipley 
kind of runs over Renardo Gray. And I, I won't lie, he kind of sticks it to him. Two plays or a couple plays later, Renardo comes back and just smacks him, just absolutely lays him in the dirt. I'm like, this is something you don't see from a corner. And I know we've seen a lot of great number eights at Florida State. Renardo's making his way up there. I mean, we've seen we've seen Timmy Jenkins be great. We've seen Jalen Ramsey, Devontae. We've seen some great players wear that number, and he's slowly climbing that ladder. He's been phenomenal to start this season. He was really good, especially like you said in that second half. And I mean, ended up ended up even being recognized by the ACC uh, co-defensive yep. back of the week honors after his performance against Clemson. And obviously he had that huge play in overtime to sniff out that wide receiver screen, just duck under the block and, and lock, just absolutely knock down the receiver for a two, uh, loss of two, which in that point of the game, instead of being fourth and one, it's fourth and three. That's a huge play. And to come from a corner who's, you know, 180, 190 pounds, that's a, that's a hell of a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other goods uh, from y'all's side? I mean, there's – I mean, the, the defensive line's been – Pretty good. I know that I know people are going to complain about Jer versus sack numbers, but he's got he's got a thirteen pressures, eight hurries, and five quarterback hits. Like at at some point, you got to realize that he's getting the pressure there. Just the quarterback's getting the ball out quickly. But I mean, you look across this entire defensive line. Pat Payton has ten pressures. Joshua Farmer has eight. Brayden Fisk has five. Kalen Deloach has seven pressures and three sacks. So really, that front seven's getting some pressure, and they're really getting after. The quarterback, if they ever play one of these quarterbacks that likes to stand in the pocket, it's going to be a long day for that quarterback. And maybe when they're playing Pitt and Phil Jerkovich again, they have eight or nine sacks. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, offensive, offensively opponents have tried to prepare for Florida State's defensive line. And they've done a pretty good job so far, at least scurrying away. But, you know, eventually Florida State's going to hang on and, and grab – uh, four or five sacks in the game. I, I have no doubt about that. But just going off of specifically Brandon Fist, too, on the end side, he's everything is advertised. He's bringing pressure alongside with Fabian Lovett. You know, those guys are bringing a lot more pressure than what we saw last year, too. Statistically, box score, whatever you want to go off of, that's fine. But if you just put on the tape and watch with your own two eyes on how that's disrupting an offense, uh, they're they're bringing the heat too, so you can criticize the secondary all you want, which it definitely deserves some criticism. There's some work to do there, but specifically if we're going to grade and look at this defensive line after four games, they're doing their job and something that we had pressed and were expecting going into this season. It, it's just apparent that it's better. You know, you had Robert Cooper last year; he ate up one or two guys, but it's different when you have Braden Fisk, who has that athleticism and ability to disrupt pressure. Um, and bull rush, and then you also have Fabian Lovett right next to you, or Dennis Briggs, Joshua Farmer. You know they, they've they've came in well, and you know as long as health does right, you know this is going to be a strong unit to carry this team. I think for the rest of the year. And I've got a feeling the sack numbers are about to jump up here over the next three or four games. There, there are some teams on the schedule where it feels like Four State's really going to be able to peer, peer pin their ears back and let these defensive linemen just go after the quarterback yeah. here. And, and it's yeah. crazy that we're complaining about sacks when they have 13 as a team through four games. Through four games, <laughs> granted, you know, one of those is Jerry and Jones, one of those is Renardo Green, Shaheen Brown. You know, Fuller's been creative in some of these blitzes, especially in the second half. Like the one where Deloach guy, he came from almost the slot and just came screaming in. Nobody was even thinking about him. So mm-hmm. Fuller's being creative with these guys, and you know, sometimes they're just a half second late, like that hit Jerry and Jones had. If Klubnik hangs on that ball for even a quarter of a second longer, it's an eight-yard loss for a sack. So the pressure is getting there. 
it's only a matter of time before these sack numbers really spike up. Yep. Uh, I Carol's think. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say a good one for me. I was going to go to the special teams. Uh, kick return and punt return are still figuring things out, but you but when you look at the kick coverage and the punt coverage, it's been really good for Florida State. At least going into that game against Clemson, number one in the country as far as uh, punt return yards allowed. I think it was negative three per game for the Seminoles. I mean, they've been really strong there. And then you look at the punting game, Alex Mastermano's been really nice, very impactful against Clemson with some absolutely huge boots. And then Ryan Fitzgerald, I mean, what a job for this kid after the struggles that he had last year to come back four for four to start the season, a huge season high 48 yard kick there in death Valley to tie things up in the third quarter. Hasn't missed an extra point all year. So the improvements on special teams for Florida state under Mike Norvell and coach JP, I mean, man, they've been noticeable the last two seasons. Yeah. And master mono averaged almost 50 yards of punt against Clemson. And that's one, one really bad 33 yard punt. So he was, he was booting that thing for most of that game. And he was doing a great job of flipping field position for most of that game. Um, yeah. Cause like we talked about, I think it was in the instant reaction. You can't give Clemson, short fields we saw that against florida atlantic where they're just getting short field after short field to short field and that's why the offense was capitalizing they didn't get that chance for most of this game no. uh, maybe an underrated play in this game whenever florida state was punting out of their own end zone yeah i think you i think you did bring it up but the ball looked like it bounced through master mono's hands and hit him in the face mask but i mean he cleaned it up so quickly you couldn't even really notice it unless you paid extra attention to it on the broadcast saved maybe what could have been a disaster there if we're talking about a more inexperienced punter. And he kicks it all the way to the opposing 40-yard line. I mean, it was just an absolute mm-hmm. killed kick. Major, major, yeah, great. Great start to the season for, you know, Florida State's kicking game. And, you know, shout out to Fitzgerald, you know, always getting pressed on social media. I mean, every kicker in college football is, no matter what. But a uh, great, great start to the season from him and a massive field goal uh, at Clemson. Yeah. Uh, a massive one. 48. I mean, I can't stress enough. With the crowd, you're in Death Valley. It's all a mental game for the most part for him as well. And, you know, he's able to able to get that uh, field goal in between the uprights. And, you know, that's, that's major for Florida state and it helps, it helps a ton, man. And it helps a lot of ways. It helps your offense and, um, you know, master mono too doing his thing, penning him down there, Whew, man. Um, you know, after his, well, I think it was a 33 yard punt after that though, he was in his groove and he was rolling. So uh, shout out to those, shout out to those guys, man. Um, you know, got to show the special team some love and they're in our good section. So for whoever really gives a damn what we say on this podcast <laughs> called here, the spear, they're in our good. They're in our good. So um, let them know if you know any of them. But um, anything else, gentlemen? I want to say too. I mean, I think this is a good one. Uh, not a whole ton of silly, silly mistakes. At least discipline-wise, penalties-wise. I think Florida State has done a good job of cleaning up some some things here and there. There's still, uh, you know, I think it's just on the staff and Florida State. Uh, but some of these illegal formations and things where Florida State is putting themselves back is, is what hurts. But for the most part, just off of silly penalties, though, and Florida State creating holds and all this kind of stuff, Florida State, I think, has done a pretty good job of keeping some things crisp to start this season. Yeah, that, that illegal formation on fourth and one was killer because they, mm-hmm. they got a pretty decent gain out of it. They would have been in the red zone and said you go from fourth and one to fourth and six and you have to punt it. That was tough. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. For the most part, they've been pretty disciplined. Like, even the... Even the late hits have have just been, you know, 
really wishy-washy. Like they could have gone either way. I'm, I wasn't upset about them either way. So I agree. They've been pretty good discipline-wise. If anything, I mean, they've been getting hosed a little bit by the refs. I hate to say it. That's nothing new. <laughs> we're, we're almost out of this conference. <laughs> Get us out. Wait, isn't Clemson announcing next month? I'm so over the whole conference stuff. Just get it done. I don't give a damn what you hear or what the F your source tells you. Just friggin' post it. Get it. Let's get it going. If not, I don't believe you one bit, whoever's leaving or what's happening and all that kind of crap. Um, we're in the season. There's football to be talked about. We got PFF grades. There's everything happening. 464 now. I don't Whatever happens, happens. Um, whoever brings the biggest bag to also matters. Uh, let's see here. Anything else before we jump into VZ's schedule? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that someone like you wouldn't have brought this up yet, you know, nearly mm. 60, 63 minutes into the show. But like you just said, Florida State's 4-0, but they're number five in the country two straight weeks now where Florida State has fallen in the AP Top 25 poll. If the college football playoff started today, Florida State would be on the outside looking in. I think it's pretty – Pretty bad job by the voters dropping Florida State after their first win in Death Valley in 10 years, first win over Clemson. And, uh, you know, Clemson been on a seven-game win streak going into that one. So, I mean, first victory over Clemson since 2014. What do you guys think? I mean, seven-point win over Clemson in Death Valley. I know Clemson wasn't ranked, but when you look at the way this rivalry has gone in recent years, the way that Clemson has dominated the ACC – I just don't agree with Florida State falling here at all. I agree, but at the same point, I could not give less of a shit. Like, it's week <laughs> it's week five of college football, and there's still a lot of football to be played, you know. Texas is probably going to drop one in the next few weeks. That's what they always do. Ohio State will lose to Michigan at the end of the year for the third straight year, and Ryan Day will get fired. So things will get played out, um, and it's very reasonable that Georgia drops a game as well because they really haven't looked that great. I think part of it is people just are seeing the name and not watching the games. Like people saw Clemson lose at Duke. And they're like, Oh my God, they lost to Duke. They must be terrible. It was just one of those games where there's so many unlucky breaks. Couldn't capitalize in the red zone. It was just a really weird game from Clemson. That's still a really good football team. And there's a very good chance they went out the rest of this season when they're playing Syracuse wake. That game at Miami will be telling. NC State, Notre Dame will be fun, but it's in Clemson, which is a notoriously tough place to play, as we just found out. And then Georgia Tech, UNC, South Carolina, they could very easily be 9-3 and three at the end of the season and be a top-20 team. You know, people yeah. just see that loss at Duke, and they're like, oh, my God, they're a terrible football team. It's a good football team. And there's, just, there's a reason that Florida State just beat them at home for, in an ACC game for the first time since 2016. I feel like that's kind of gotten lost a little bit, just how hard it is to play in that building. AP poll does not respect Clemson whatsoever. Didn't rank them and, uh, you know, Florida state beating them. Definitely. If you didn't watch the game too, and you didn't see a lot of the extra things where Florida state had to deal with, um, a variety of things. I'm not going to talk about the refs anymore, but, uh, just looking at the score though, you know, voters might just not be, um, wanting to vote FSU so highly in some regard. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's like, like VZ said, don't care too much, but do I agree with you though, Dustin, that they should have dropped? Yeah. I, I don't think they should have, I think they should have just at least stayed put for sure. But right now, as of, um, going into week five, we've got Georgia at one, Michigan two, Texas three, 
Ohio State four, and then you got FSU at five, dropping one spot. Right below them at six is Penn State, Washington seven, USC eight, Oregon nine, and then at number 10 is Utah. So, um, just I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm honestly surprised, you know, if we're, we're going to move Ohio State up a lot for an ugly but fun game win against Notre Dame. I think Washington's one of the best teams in the country right now. They're playing so well. And granted, they haven't really played anybody. They're playing some really good football. Oregon's playing pretty well, too. This is a really fun year in college football where there's just so much depth at the top. And for the first time in what feels like a decade, there's no true, like, oh, yeah, that's the team. There's yeah. so many good teams this year. Mm-hmm. Heavily, heavily entertaining. It makes you want to watch every game right now because you just don't know what to expect. Uh, and the ACC alone, though, North Carolina sitting at 15. Duke, which Florida State will play at home for their homecoming game. They're at 17. Miami, as we know, uh, Florida State will host them as well. Also, we, we said, we've mentioned Duke a few times. College game day coming to Durham, North Carolina for Duke, Notre Dame. That should be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Not for yeah. basketball. Not for basketball, for football. Who would have thunk? <laughs> Who would have thunk? Yep, uh, the Gators at number 22 as well, and the other FSU, Fresno State at 25. Shout out to the Fresno Staters out there. But, um, man, I, I just cannot understate how much I disagree with the decision for Florida State to fall back-to-back. We, <laughs> there, there's, there hasn't been a team that's had a tougher schedule in September than Florida State. They've only had I mean, one home game. They've only had one home yeah. game. They were on – the road neutral site. I mean, technically, well, to yeah, let's, let's be real. That crowd was eighty-five percent FSU. They had the marching chiefs going all night. They even brought Osceola and Renegade. That was a home game. It really. But you're was. not. You're not in your comfort zone. You're not in your home environment. You've got one home game against Southern Miss. You got a trap game on the road against Boston College in some questionable weather. It wasn't as bad as what we were expecting. And then, I mean, the one that really stinks is kind of holding this close game against Clemson, against Florida State. Um, Because, I mean, man, if Clemson had been ranked number 25 on Saturday, FSU probably stands pat at at number four. And maybe even moves up to three. Because obviously Texas has a great win at Alabama, but they haven't looked that good outside of that. Alabama hasn't looked so impressive either to me. If we're going to go off of resumes, Florida State has the – best resume in september right now it's and not sure. even it's not even are, close are we that impressed with ohio state they barely beat indiana on the road i get they beat notre dame who has notre dame played in five weeks besides ohio state and also notre dame only had 10 players on the field for for the last two plays so how good are they really and michigan hasn't been away from home georgia hasn't been away from home Michigan's also toughest opponent has been Rutgers. Like, it's not a question when you're saying who had the toughest schedule in college football in September and who came out on top. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, isn't this fun though? This is what we get to deal with now. It's, it's one of those. It's one of those. If you let's say you flip Florida State's logo with, I'm trying. Like let's say they flip their logo with Tennessee, who started. They kind of started ranked the same. If Tennessee starts their season with a win against LSU against a bad team then against some SEC low lifes like Vanderbilt like let's say they go to Vanderbilt get a very close win and then they come out and beat Georgia or Alabama the next week they're number one right now they absolutely are so this is gonna be fun I did not know Ole Miss plays LSU this upcoming weekend that'll be good need LSU to do its thing there for sure. I, I, need, I need Kentucky to do their thing. 
that's they always they usually do. They usually the, do. The Kentucky Florida games in Kentucky are always fun. I don't Incredible. know what it is. Yeah, all the way to the fourth quarter, no matter what, they're always usually entertaining on a bi-weekly year uh, season. But um, yeah, AP poll. It's fun to talk AP poll drama as we just spent a few minutes there given a rundown on where florida state's at but they're going to sit at number five going into their bye week but some interesting matchups in the top 25 to keep a close eye on if you want to have fsu hold on to a good resume lsu will face ole miss this upcoming weekend at 7 p.m so keep an eye out on that one uh let's jump into basketball here vz to end off our show before we jump into that if you're on youtube right now and hanging out with us make sure to hit that like button we definitely appreciate it it would help a ton to get more fsu fans in here to communicate bring us some topics ask some questions it helps a ton we will not be having any kind of second show this week obviously with no games so this is going to be our only one of the week so i appreciate everybody hanging out with us but yeah if you're on youtube right now got about 38 likes over 100 watching so if we can get that anywhere close to 75 likes that would be freaking awesome i appreciate everybody hanging out with us on this evening of Wednesday, VZ, we got a schedule out, baby. Basketball, schedule. it's not back, but we're getting close to it. We're now not too far away. But about a month and a half, we're getting there. We're, we're definitely getting there. October's coming soon, so be a month and a half away. But uh, VZ, obviously, there's a few storylines to look into this, including Matthew Cleveland whenever he makes – his return into the tuck, which should be fun, who transferred over to the Miami Hurricanes, if you guys missed that. But, VZ, uh, give us the rundown on this ACC schedule for Leonard Hamilton and the Florida State Seminoles this upcoming 2023-2024 season. Yeah, it's not, it's not often you start with the last game of the season, but that's going to be the one everyone's talking about. Matthew Cleveland's return to Tallahassee is the very last game of the season. You know, it, I thought it was going to happen just so the ACC can create a little bit of drama, and they're doing it. They're going to play Miami in Miami early on in the conference slate, January 17th. But March 9th, Matthew Cleveland will come back on senior day. So, you know, Florida State's maybe a little better than average. There should be a very good home crowd there, a very rowdy home crowd, ready to boo Matthew Cleveland. Um, I'm so looking forward to it. That's going to be a game that I may have to come down to Tallahassee for. But if you start at the top, and I'm just now realizing it's the same day as the ACC football championship uh, Florida State will start their conference slate at North Carolina, so I'm gonna have to maybe pull double duty that day. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, That's one's cool. a new game, the other's an eight o'clock game. <laughs> well, if Florida State's in the uh, playoff game, I think uh, I think I know where your due diligence now, will be held. Hopefully, hopefully. That's tough, yeah, though. That is like hopefully. that's like if there's one basketball game that I will always watch, no matter what, for Florida State, it will be FSU North Carolina, no matter. Yeah, what. hopefully the hopefully the Carolina basketball game is like a two o'clock tip. The game's over at four. I'm out of there at five, and then it's a two hour drive to Charlotte. I'm I'm fine for an eight o'clock kickoff for the ACC um, for the ACC championship. Are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. December second is the day of the ACC championship. Uh, okay. Um, but yeah. then you. Besides that, we'll, we'll get to that later. Once you, but after that, in January, you get three straight home games to start off your conference slate. Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, and then out on the road against Notre Dame. And if you start those first five games, three and two or four and one, you're setting yourself up very nicely for the rest of this conference schedule. And I think it sets up nicely. There's no big Monday games, so you don't have to worry about getting games on short rest. Um, and even the stretches where you're maybe playing some tougher teams right in a row, like this slate where you're going – 
home Virginia at Virginia Tech, home Duke in the middle of February, you know, your tougher games are at home for most of the season. So it sets up really nicely. I don't think there's any stretches that are too difficult. And if this team lives up to their potential, they could be a solid team, honestly. Question here on YouTube asking thoughts on FSU basketball this year. I know we haven't talked about it in quite a little while, but uh, he's asking what's asking, will we be decent? Someone, Don't you see how the football team's doing? So, someone asked me yesterday, what's the real expectations for this team? And I said, I haven't made up my mind yet, and I'll let you know once I start releasing the articles throughout October. I, I think they'll be okay. I think the realistic expectation is they'll be about the 500 basketball team, but the schedule's not that crazy. And they're deep. If everything's finally healthy for the first time in what feels like a decade, um, they should be a pretty solid team. It's it's held under Hamilton once this team's built. It's really deep. They're going to be playing 12 guys, consistent minutes every single game. Um, they're going to be one of those teams that really beat you 1 through 11, 1 through 12, like they did in like 2018. So we'll see. I'm, I'm still trying to make up my mind on how on what exactly their ceiling is, but they should be okay. That was a lot of words. Will they make the tournament or not? Probably not. <laughs> I love how we're I having just, to ask this. We're putting them on the block here, man. I just part of it is I don't think the ACC is that good, so there's not going to be a lot of opportunities to get those quality wins on the road. Let's say outside of UNC, who should be much better, Duke, who's going to be insanely talented. I just don't think the conference is that good. Obviously, Miami made a Final Four last year, but they're trying to replace Isaiah Wan. With Matthew Cleveland, I just don't think that's going to work. You have Virginia, who's finally losing Kihei Clark, the engine to that offense, and we'll see if they can adjust away from that. Who else is there? You know, Syracuse has a first-year head coach. Notre Dame's got a first-year head coach. You know, Wake Forest will probably be solid. Virginia Tech will probably be solid, but they don't scare anybody. It's just a – I just don't think it's a very good ACC again. It's been five years of this now where the ACC just hasn't been very good. Um, we'll see we'll see good good fun schedule hopefully and you know if you make it down to that uh miami game that should be highly entertaining as well i mean there's a lot of good home games for people that maybe want to get season tickets i think it's only like 150 for season tickets and you'll get to see carolina at home duke at home virginia home and that miami game to end the season plus georgia comes to town for the acc sec challenge there's a lot of good home games honestly it's definitely a steal if Florida State can play better than last year, for sure. For sure. Be worthy of going to. So we'll see. We'll definitely have some good coverage from VZ on that as the season creeps and gets closer to us. But that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Hear the Spear. If you guys want to and go back, we had an instant reaction from Death Valley after the game. You guys can get our raw reactions to what we saw. If not, skip to the beginning of this episode. And we gave a pretty decent rundown on our thoughts after a couple of days. But that's going to do it. appreciate everybody hanging out with us this evening. As always, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. If you're on YouTube right now, smash that like button. Share with your friends. Hit the subscribe button. Tons and tons of content going out there uh, on a daily basis. So make sure you're on t- in touch with us on YouTube. And if you want to join our Discord, it's free to join. You can click on the link below in the YouTube description and you can join a couple thousand FSU Knowles on game days as Florida State heads into its bye week and then be back at home against Virginia Tech. We'll be previewing that next week so keep it a guy, keep an eye out for that. We'll be live next Wednesday at 7pm. That's going to do it. Appreciate everybody. Y'all have a great rest of y'all's week. Enjoy the weekend and we'll talk to you guys next week. 
on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Peace. Yeah.